in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my co-host, my good friend, Chad Robinson. Chad, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Russell. It's raining here in Pittsburgh, Chad. That is appropriate. It is appropriate, but I'm not down. Do you know why I'm not down? Why is that? I think I think I feel like singing in the rain today. Did you bring your umbrella? I did, and I brought, also, first-time guest from another place where it rains a fair bit, from Seattle, Washington, Ray Castillo, from the Retro Reviews podcast. Ray, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it and really enjoy your show. So I'm really honored to be a guest. So thank you for having me on. Oh, we are excited to have you here. So, Ray, people may or may not know you, and I hope they get to know you because if you like our show, I promise you, you're going to like Ray's show too. Ray, tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself. Like they said, uh, my name is Ray, and I, me and my co-host Peter uh, do a podcast weekly called Retro Reviews. It's very similar to Retro Movie Roundtable, which we review movies that are 10 years or older. But on our podcast, we don't go back any further than the year 1980. Um, so a little little caveat, little, not caveat, a little difference there. And also we do a little segment, just like shout outs in the very beginning that we talk about some different things, a little warm up. But yeah, so it's a weekly podcast and me and Peter volleyball back and forth about movies that we pick. And we don't know what movie either of us are going to pick. So it's very kind of surprising when we bring it up in the show. So it's yeah, so that's Retro Reviews, and I hope you guys enjoy us uh, and give us a listen. Really appreciate it. That is very exciting, and we want to know, what is it you do for a living? I work at a nonprofit in Seattle, and I work, uh, they have different sectors, and I work in, like, the child care sector, and I'm more of, like, the office manager, like, registration, registrar type of stuff. But before I did that, I used to work with kids for, like, over, like, 15 years, rather it's after school care or summer camp, things like that, or, like, uh, teaching um, but yeah, so I changed my role up this year. So it's a little different office role for this year, which is very exciting and also very different for me. But yeah, so that's what, what I do now. Um, um, I used to love, you love working with kids, but like I said, I need something to switch it up a little bit. And uh, yeah, so that's that's what I do. <laughs> very vaguely, but yeah. No, that's great. Let's get a little feel for you. We're going to break the ice with some icebreakers here. So what's the last movie you saw? The last movie I saw, that was in, I'll say in theaters, because I did one for our podcast, but I'll do one for it. The, in the theater, I saw it in Midsommar, Midsummer, the two and a I'm half. looking forward to that. Yeah, also, okay, I won't say anything else, just, it's two and a half hours, just just bring a seat cushion or something. It's just a long, it's a, it's interesting ride, yeah. Ray likes this movie short, if I recall. Yes, I, I'm, I'm, I am the person that likes my movies, 30, 90 minutes, and if it's any longer, there has to be a good reason. So <laughs> I'm just super picky about that, and maybe because my old age, I can't sit down for a long time anymore, I get a little antsy. Yeah. That's a bit long. It's a horror movie, right? Yeah, it, well, it's, 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 yeah, it's, yes, it's a horror movie. It's psychological horror movie, yeah. And Ray, what is your biggest guilty pleasure movie? Wow, um... The one that came to mind when you when you wrote this in your show notes is uh, the 2008 movie Jumper. I 
love that movie. It's on my iPad still. It's I think I think I can't delete it from there. It's just ingrained in my iPad now. <laughs> if nobody is familiar with Jumper, it stars the uh, amazing uh, Hayden Christensen, Jamie Bell, and Rachel Bilson, um, and also Samuel L. Jackson's in it. And it's about this character that can basically just like Nightcrawler can like jump from place to place. So it's basically a movie based on that, and there's an interesting world around it, which and it's 90 minutes long, which is perfect for me. And it's just a fun movie. It's very silly and dumb, and just but just I always have fun with it. And it's fun to say Hayden Christensen in a movie that's not Star Wars. Yeah, I just really enjoyed this movie. It's really fun. It's my one of my go-to airplane movies or like car ride movies if I'm in the car for a while. But yeah, it's Jumper. Oh, it's too bad you said not Star Wars because I was about to like queue up Chad and say like, you know what? Anything that has Hayden Christensen and Sam Jackson in it, Chad's there. Hey, I, I like Jumper. That's a good choice. Okay. I haven't seen the movie. I only know the Third Eye Blind song. Is the song in the movie? It is not. Uh, no, it's not. Lost yeah. opportunity. <laughs> that would be awesome if that song was not. That would probably even make it better. So what is your first movie that you went to without your parents, Ray? Oh, man. This is a fun one to go think about, too, because thinking about it, and the only one that comes to mind right on top of my dome was uh, the 1995 film Species. Um, <laughs> it's a sci-fi action horror movie. Uh, I went with a friend, and we we bought, it was rated R, and I was I think I was like fourteen at the no I was I was thirteen at the time, and we bought tickets for another movie. And we went in. It's so weird how you just remember things so vividly. Uh, and we bought tickets, and we snuck into Species, and it was like the first time I think that I remember seeing like a nude woman in the like in a movie, and I was like really like whoa my god like I was kind of shocked. I was like oh my gosh, I feel really naughty right now as like a teenager, young teenager watching this movie without my parents with my friends sneaking into a movie. It's just. Yeah, and it's just I've never seen it. I haven't seen it since, but I remember just having a fun time as a teenager doing that. And uh, yeah, so Species is one of those movies for sure. Getting away with something. My first movie that I watched without my parents, uh, I went with a friend, and we went to Jingle All the Way. We were a lot younger than that, though. So um, yeah, <laughs> a little bit different than Species. Different experience. Yeah, just just a, a tiny bit. Yeah. Another one that's going to be a hard hitting question. Who this this one's tough. This one's tough. Who's your favorite director? Oh, I had two I was going to pick from, but it's either day you catch me picking one of these. It's either Darren Aronofsky or Ryan Johnson, but today I just picked Ryan Johnson. I like Ryan Johnson. I was a big fan of him for Brick, and I love, I really love The Brothers Bloom. That's one of my favorite films that he's done. A lot of people not seem so, but I just, I, I love that movie. But, and also, like, of course, he did Looper, and also, of course, you know, The Last Jedi. Uh, I love Ryan Johnson. Anything that he directs, I'm definitely going to be seeing that that weekend. Or you know, streaming it, whatever it, whatever he's doing, it, whatever platform it's at. But definitely Ryan Johnson right now. Ah, oh, Looper was so good, and I think I think the Last Jedi had an overreaction to, to it. Uh, people people complained so much for no good reason. So yeah, well, well, well internet overreacting was something that's so weird. It's so out of character. That's true. You know? <laughs> yes, here in 2019. I know what. Yeah. So Chad, what movie are we doing today, sir? We are going to be singing in the rain. All right. Singing in the Rain comes out in 1952. It grosses $7.1 million. There's some, there's some various numbers on, on that. Uh, obviously, it had more than one trip to the uh, box office after the Oscar season. It actually returned. That was pretty common for the time. So to the best of my numbers, according to thenumbers.com, they have this at number five on the box office that, for that year. And it comes in behind The Quiet Man and in front of the world in his arms. If you're wondering what the number one movie that year was, it was The Greatest Show on Earth, and that's not with Hugh Jackman. IMDb gives Singing in the Rain a pretty strong rating of 8.3, and if you think that's a strong rating, where do you see the critics' tomato meter? They give it 100%. That's uh, about as good as it gets, isn't it, Chad? Doesn't get any higher than I that. I mean, that's, 
<laughs> that's impressive. There's not that one guy trying to make his name a name for himself. Yeah. Even the Gettysburg Address had a lower rating. Uh, there was a guy like Jebediah Atkinson who like wrote in like and said it sucked. So uh, yeah, John Wilkes Booth wasn't a big fan. Oh yeah, so I've heard. <laughs> not too soon. And uh, the audience score gives us ninety-five percent. So it gets some hardware. It gets nominated for some Oscars. It gets nominated for best supporting actors uh, from Gene Hagen and best original music score. And the Golden Globes it comes away with a winner for best actor in a motion picture. Donald O'Connor gets it. It's weird. This movie kind of grows over time, and it has a lot of legacy awards. So the American Film Institute, AFI, AFI's 100 Years of Movies, number 10. AFI's 100 Laughs, they put it at 16. Uh, then 100 Passions, they put it at number 16. AFI's 100 Years of 100 Songs, Singing in the Rains, number 3. Make Them Laughs, 49. Good Morning, 72. And uh, an AFI's list of top 10 musicals, they ranked at number 1. And AFI's 100 Years of Movies, 10th anniversary edition they upped it to number five in 2007 so pretty pretty good love from the afi on this one ray had you seen singing in the rain before what was your background on this one yeah i saw singing in the rain for the first time when i was in college in a music move music movie studies class and this was a movie that came on i never seen it i don't think i've even heard of it and i saw it and i was just like Wow, this movie is and in my my in my classroom it was like a like a kind of like a small theater so it got a big screen you know it had like theater seating so it was I think the perfect setting for this movie and you have pretty good surround uh, sound in, in the in this in the school theater that I was at and the movie just like yeah that's the first time I saw it just blown away by it and just I thought I would never any at the time thought I would never like anything like this and but it totally caught me by surprise. So not normally a musical fan then. Uh, not really, but after this movie, I definitely sought out, like, the favorites, like, not the, uh, the critically acclaimed ones after this, and just rented them on Netflix, or went to Blockbuster, and rented them, and just try to, you know, like, West Side Story and all that stuff, you know, the classic ones, and just, just try to, just try to see what else was out there to get my knowledge up. What was it like returning to it today? It's, I haven't seen it in a, a few years, and this movie is, is awesome. It's just still, still so much fun. It goes by so fast, an hour and a half. That's my time frame, and it's perfect timing. And it's just so fun. And, like, I was trying to take notes on it while watching it. I really, even though I'd seen it before, I really couldn't because I didn't want to miss anything because I knew what was coming up. And it's just, it's just so, just a great, fun film. Ah, that's great. Chad, how about you? What's your take on this one? Yeah, I have a very similar story to Ray there. I saw this movie during a movie appreciation class. I had finished my major in college, and they said, you still need more hours to graduate, so that's what I did, along with a bunch of gym classes. This came up. I do like musicals, uh, with the exception of Cats. That's a weird thing for me. The the people as animals thing just terrifies me, not my thing. But, uh, yeah, so Singing in the Rain came up. I was intrigued. Uh, I was a little nervous because of the year it was made. I was like, eh, I don't know. I'm not a big Wizard of Oz fan right around that time frame. But I loved it. I I appreciated it. So the uh, class did its job. And, uh, you know, watching it again here recently, I was very excited to show my wife because she, she likes Chicago a lot. She likes Phantom of the Opera. So I'm like, well, here's one that you haven't seen, and it's just really exciting. I'm, I'm anxious for you to see it. 
did little bell watch it too she did uh she had an interesting reaction during the stunt scene because when uh gene kelly got punched she cried wow <laughs> and kind of recorded i'm like no 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 they were acting it was fun you know the scene was set up but she she started getting entranced with a lot of the dance numbers she's like oh people can do that that's right not just penguins and happy feet <laughs> For me, I had actually never seen Singing in the Rain. It's been on my list to see for a really long time. And this is one of the most rewarding things for me in this podcast is to go back and get to all those movies that you know you should see, but you haven't seen yet. And I loved it. I mean, it is very charming of the time, as well as I do love musicals. I'll seek them out. I love music theater. And there aren't that many musicals that I don't enjoy unless they just have a super depressing story behind them. So... I really enjoyed this, and I get what all the praise is about. So uh, without further ado, though, we're going to have to spoil this movie. And so when we return from these messages, we're going to come back and get into it. President Donald J. Trump here from the White House. You know, America, I get so tired of listening to all the fake news out there. They're always treating me very unfairly. It's shameful, really. It's a shame I get so tired of all the news that I've taken to listening to podcasts. There are a lot of fake podcasts out there, too, pretty much any of them from CNN. But one that all of America seems to be able to agree on, including myself, is the Retro Movie Roundtable Podcast. Stop worrying about the investigations, what's going on in Russia, go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, and give them a shiny gold five-star review. Comment below, let them know how to make the show even greater, like them on Facebook, reach out to them at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. Maybe someday they will be lucky enough to review my tremendous acting performances and Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. I was a terrific star of that movie and the Academy Awards rigged the Oscars that year to exclude me. It's too bad, really. It's very bad. But you know what isn't bad? The Retro Movie Roundtable Podcast. Thank you, America. And you're welcome. Welcome back. And as mentioned, there will be spoilers that lie ahead. So that was your final warning. So, Ray, why don't you remind people who haven't seen Singing in the Rain since 1952? What happens in it? I'm I was sort of very uh, lazy about this project. I wanted I want to talk about it more and I give like the whole summary. So I'm just gonna be very brief. I hope you don't mind. And I'm just gonna read really quickly the IMDb summary. I know it's really lazy, but I think it's it's a perfect summary for this film because I think there's a lot to talk about too. Um, so it says a silent film production company and cast make a difficult transition to sound. I think it's a very simple summary. It's not what I think. There's more to this movie. But that is the basic premise of this film that IMDb has. Not a problem. Obviously, I think we also want to say it's also a love story. It's a comedy. It's also obviously music. So uh, it does a lot of things at once. Ray, how is it for you as a romance story? I think, like like you said, it it, it does everything. It's, this movie encapsulates everything. It's 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 so great, and I think the love story is really fun not fun it's really nice it's really genuine i think and it's very it's very hollywood it's very classic hollywood which this movie is and the the song where uh gene kelly and oh my god debbie reynolds are singing like on the set like transitioning from set to set singing their love song it's so beautiful and just whimsical and just like very romantic and it's just it's 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 just beautiful and i i think the the love story is very simple in this movie but it's done so well and you know simple is probably the best at times and this movie does it so well and, and i i really love it it doesn't, it doesn't have the story the love story like drag its feet for the movie like it's really well in written in there well inserted the actors and actors do such a great job gene kelly and david reynolds did such a great job of it 
Yeah, so I think the love story in this is 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 very good. Now, Chad, you've seen more romantic comedies than any human being I know. Uh, <laughs> how, how does how does this differ than a lot of the other ones that you see today? I think I put this more in the Princess Bride type category for me. Uh, the Princess Bride has a lot of things going on. Yes, maybe at the center it is a romance, but it's got action, it's got adventure, it's got comedy. Uh, this has just great routines. There's fun quips. The set designs are very nice. The costuming, just everyone's having fun constantly. And so while the romance is important, it's not the thing for me that draws me to this movie. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, maybe I'm a softie, but actually this is one of the parts of it I enjoyed the most. And I didn't think that it dragged as much as a lot of today's romantic comedies goes. Perhaps to Ray's point, it's a short movie and obviously music plays a big part of it. So you don't have to go through this kind of obligatory lull where your protagonist kind of screws up. And then we go through this whole thing that leads back to the big motion that wins the girl back over. And that can be done. Uh, well enough if it doesn't trudge around in it for too long but this really doesn't i mean it's it's a very brief moment where he basically says that i'm going to put you up on stage and you have to sing behind this person who's going to get all the credit for what you're doing and she's crying and she's crying and uh it's literally i don't know four minutes later that uh, they resolve this and it's a happy ending yeah if that i appreciate that yeah, I, f- I feel like for, for me the the singing parts in this movie the musical parts are like are what also like move the story along too and like like make the characters relationships grow or a situation like develop like i think if some musicals like the music the musical part is there but doesn't really explain what is going on in the show i mean the, it's not show the movie or doesn't like forward the plot it's just there and then like okay now let's get to the plot and it's like it doesn't feel like that at all it just transitions so well to musical to scripted and then back to musical it's so well done and i love that too about it Well, it's interesting. And as we might talk a little more on later, these songs weren't written specifically for this story. And actually, the songs came first, and then they constructed a story to work around that. So that's kind of, if you're looking for a modern day comparison, that's kind of like what Across the Universe did with Beatles songs, or Mamma Mia with uh, all... ABBA's songs. In this case, these were projects of largely head of the music department. His name is Arthur Freed. And so it's a collection of a lot of older songs, many of which had been used before. And we had seen some of them in movies. Like this is the seventh movie that has the song Singing in the Rain on it. But uh, good luck naming many of those other movies at, at today's time. It's kind of weird how we think of these things as like Good Morning or Uh, make them laugh or this but really they were pieced together to create a cohesive whole so it's kind of interesting how they did that does that show would you would you say that is evident chad no i had no idea all but two of these songs weren't original to the movie i always assumed singing in the rain was created for this film and actually there was a, a point where the orchestras asked during the movie to to play the song and they know it my initial thought was why do they know this? But it, when you find out all oh, these are songs that have been around for a little bit, it's like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's interesting that it turns out so uh, tight. And there's a there's a certain part or, uh, late in the movie, uh, I'll go straight to it. I mean, I'm, I might come back to it later, but the, the Broadway melody is one of those ones that I didn't see it fitting this movie. And that that to me is the one true moment that makes me go like, wait, we're in New York now? What's going on? And how does this relate to anything? And then like it ends and you're just like, 
what just happened there? So <laughs> were you pulled out of it at any moment, Ray, or does it all just go together just fine? I, I agree. That 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 whole song it that whole uh that musical member does seem really forked in or just like, okay, this song is good, we have to put it in. How are we gonna put it in? Uh just do this. And it feels like it's like that. It's like kind of a little bit half baked a little bit, but it's still I think for me works isn't like I said, it moves along the plot. It doesn't like just it's not just plopped in there doesn't move the story along moves it along in some and for me too this movie is like a carpet ride it's just it's very whimsical it just i'm all along for the ride right from the get-go right when the opening you see all three of them singing in the rain with their their the yellow coats on and the umbrellas and stuff like i'm all for it so whatever they wanted to do i was i bought in 100 percent. broadway melody set up a great punchline though after 17 minutes of everything played out just here i can't visualize it yeah that's a good point yeah i i I did look over to mary and say like i'm sorry am i not paying attention am i having like an add moment like what's happening yeah it didn't help that uh donald o'connor he wasn't available so that's why he's missing for that part and debbie reynolds wasn't a good enough dancer so they filled in someone else it kind of did miss the rest of the cast Hmm. yeah yeah it was it was a strange moment in there, but one of the things that I I have to admit this I, this is going to sound silly, but again, having not seen it before, they opened up the movie as Ray had mentioned on Singing on the Rain, and uh, Debbie Reynolds and and Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor are there in the raincoats with the umbrellas, and they sing pretty much thirty seconds of Singing in the Rain, and it, it fades out, and I was like, wait, that's that's not it for that title track, <laughs> is it? No, don't worry. You'll hear it twice more. So, Ray, did you like the beginning of this movie? Kind of, uh, it was like a flashback where we have our lead actor, Don Lockwood, coming down the red carpet and strangely giving an interview on the red carpet. I don't think we see that very often today. Yeah, I just like, I I think uh, the opening, that whole scene is really just sort of silly. Because like, when you first watch the movie, you think Don Lockwood and who's the character that he's with? that that thank you yeah. yes like they're supposed to be love interests and you're kind of like oh these guys are these both are together because they're like superstars and he gives this interesting backstory you know uh very citizen kane-esque you know flashback and this is how i became this is how i came this and it's very 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 funny i, I don't know i like it a lot and uh as you can tell i'm probably gonna like everything about this movie but i i did i, I like the opening a lot like it's a very classic classic hollywood i just love that part too I made me think how long would red carpets be? Because the, the, like the E Channel puts these things on for like two hours before an award show. How long would they be if like Joan Rivers is standing there, which she's not around anymore. I guess it's Kathy Griffin now who does these sorts of things. But how long is how long would a red carpet be if everybody who came up and they were like, it's like Kim Kim Kardashian, please tell us your whole life story now. Well, the Kim Kardashian story would be like two minutes long because like yeah, I made a sex tape and that's it, <laughs> and I'm famous. <laughs> It's true. And I married a genius. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that entire scene for the setup, though, that was great satire. I, I love when Don's talking like this elite celebrity of, you know, I, I do everything. Dignity, always dignity. And it shows him doing clown routines. And, you know, he's talking about audiences everywhere adored us and they're booing. Or uh, my roles in these films were urbane, sophisticated, suave, and it shows him getting blown up in a hot <laughs> marked explosives. Just everything he's saying is a complete fraud. Yes, quite the overstatement. I, I particularly enjoyed when uh, he meets Lena for the first time, and he's just a stuntman, so she's too good to talk to him. 
and uh, he's like, Miss Lamont, I'm very glad to meet you. I'm the stuntman on this movie. And she like gives him this look as like, as if. And then, <laughs> and then like two seconds later, like the head of the uh, production company comes up and says, you're doing a great job. We want to feature you in our next movie. Then all of a sudden she does a 180. No sooner had she done, done kicking him in the butt than, uh, then turns around. It's just like, oh, now I'm interested. And that lays it on so thick. And in a way that's Lena Lamont, you know, right off the bat, this is a very shallow, superficial character. And uh, that's just the beginning. Yeah, and right off the bat too, this is nineteen fifty two, so it's very tongue in cheek about Hollywood at the time too, which it's if you if this movie still resonates with now Hollywood too, people just like putting up a front and putting up like their best faces and the crowd going crazy. Like it's like Chasta in the beginning, like where they're all yelling and like hysterically, like super happy to see their stars. So it's very resonant to nowadays too, just seeing that too, which I thought was interesting. So what do we what was your take when Don hops in the car with Kathy and she is not taken. Um, she a, either doesn't recognize him or maybe she, I think she does recognize him and she's just not, she's just not going to fall for his star like presence. Uh, I really liked her character right off the bat by kind of putting this Hollywood guy who gets everything he wants everywhere he goes and kind of putting him in his place and just reminding him, Hey, you're a person and I'm a person too. And I'm not that impressed with you. I don't know. Chad, did you like, uh, Did you like her telling him off, sort of? Yeah, it reminds me very much of her daughter. The first time Luke Skywalker met Princess Leia, it was just, you know, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper or not? Hey, you're here to rescue me. Same with Kathy Selden. Like, oh, you're a big movie star. So what? Get out of my car. You're not a real actor. You're in movies. (laughs) I'm in cakes, but you're in movies. Yeah, I did love that line. We're going to search. I searched every cake in town looking for you. (laughs) (laughs) Cosmo has some great ones. Cosmo is awesome. And it's don't you kind of feel bad for like Cosmo? Like everybody's going nuts over like three of these people who come on the red carpet. And then all of a sudden Cosmo gets out of a car and everybody's like, oh, we're not going to clap for this guy. He's a piano player. And then the next guy who comes out of the car, then they go crazy over. Uh, I thought that was an odd thing of how this guy had cut his teeth on the whole scene and everywhere he had been these guys were equally talented but cosmo ends up being this like behind the scenes guy and everybody just kind of like womp 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 when cosmo comes on the scene so that's kind of odd because he can do all the tap dancing singing and all the same stuff so why is he not famous ray i i think it's just some people i think like cosmo i think is the engine to the car and then don is like that like the shell of it you know like Cosmo's the one that makes the engine go. He makes it go fast, but everybody sees Don Lockwood, the super hunky man, you know, and he's the shell of the car. So it's just, you know, both of them together make our perfect pairing, you know, they're peanut butter and jelly, you know, they bring out the, I think they bring out the best of each other, just like Batman and Robin, you know, like, and, um, and Cosmo too, you look at him, he looks like he's shorter in the movie. He's very skinny. Um, doesn't have that strong that strong bone physique as uh, Don Lockwood has. So I think probably that's why he's not as famous as probably he should be, because he's the one with all the talent. But that, that usually also another tongue-in-cheek thing in Hollywood. Like, just because you have all the talent, that means you're going to be the most famous person. It's probably going to be the person who can somewhat act or kind of go a little bit above and beyond, but also super hunky or super uh, attractive. Ah, that's interesting. So Don Lockwood's kind of like your like Taylor Swift who you put on stage and like Cosmos, like that Swedish guy who's like written every pop song in the last decade behind the man behind the music uh, who's making it yeah. all happen. Ah, that's, exactly. Yeah. Huh. That's He's a, Ed Sheeran. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Actually, I, I hadn't considered that until now. This movie plays off of Hollywood so well. 
I also like the superficial Hollywood party that they have. I enjoyed how unenthused people were to be there to watch a movie and how unimpressed they were at a, hello, this is a talking picture. I'm moving my lips to the sound of this movie. And everybody's just kind of laughing it off like, ha, that's ridiculous. That'll never pass. What do you think it would have been like, Ray, like being back there in the 1920s and you know film is being silent. What would what do you think it was like to all of a sudden not have to stop the action, go to a black screen and read white text, but to be able to appreciate movies in a way that you again, it gets closer to theater in that way. Yeah, for if man, man, I think it would have blown my mind be like I don't have to read like I could just like hear this person talking through like speakers or this record that's playing it. I mean, it was just blowing my mind. I think at the time, especially like all that technical stuff going into it. And like, I, for me, I haven't seen any in 2019. I've seen like revelations and like uh, in theaters besides like maybe IMAX is maybe the next best thing that I always, every time I go to IMAX, I'm like jaw dropped. Just like, this is so beautiful and sounds so great. And that's how I think I would feel if I went to back to see a talkie, a talkie as I call it back in the day, in the movie. <laughs> so I think I would be just blown away. Like, oh my gosh, even if this person is just like reading off a script and like, I would be amazed by it. It would be if you think about it, because again, the theater is so much more lively to to uh, Kathy's point in this and that uh, silent movies. I have always one thing that I do struggle with through some of them is when you go back and watch a silent movie is the overacting is pretty strong and they're kind of pantomiming everything out to the point where everything's got to be exaggerated because that's their only means of conveying what's happening in the scene. And it's interesting once talkies come around uh, you don't have to try nearly so hard anymore by with all the big animated gestures i mean if you want to be like harpo and have animated gestures for the point of comedy then uh you can but i mean there's so much more depth that your stories can go into uh you know one of the early ones i can think of is nosferatu is just like an early telling of dracula and you're amazed how little ground they can cover but if you think about it half of the movie's a black screen with white text on it so you lose a lot of time in that yeah that's true one of the comedy things about this is seeing the people struggle to go from silent movies to to that chat did you enjoy the scene where we see don lockwood and lena lamont attempting for the first time to create an actual talky scene together oh man that was that was great with Lena not understanding where the mic was and constantly turning her head back and forth, the moving the microphone <laughs> into like a corsage and in her dress and uh, RF pulling the cord out and her falling off the bench. Yeah, that was that was all great, but it was fun hearing. Let me see if I can mo- mimic this on my mic. Sound going in and out, in and out, and, um, and even the final product of her fidgeting with the pearls in the movie. <laughs> it was interesting, though, even with their first film that they show that everyone's going bananas over, you kind of see their lips are moving after the subtitles go. So it's kind of like those old Godzilla movies where it doesn't quite match up, even though the audience members like, she's so refined, I think I'll kill myself. <laughs> yes, and obviously they showed the result of that. Ray, did you like the follow-up of that, how the, uh, people are in the theaters actually responding to, like, this is the best that we could come up with, and the director's just sitting there with his hands over his face? 
Yeah, it, it's so funny because they go into it and they're like, this movie's going to be great. Everybody's going to love it because we have these two mega stars, right? And then they go into it. And even though, I don't know, it feels like to me like even the producers didn't preview the movie themselves like in a room together smoking a bunch of cigarettes and drinking. Like, let's see if the audio, well, how's the audio sound? You know, they're like, no, let's just, it sounds great. Let's give it to a preview audience. And just like the audio is terrible. <laughs> it's so funny. And they're all laughing at the, at the screen and they're all trying to hide under the hat, like, under their coats and stuff and it's just so funny and it just shows you too like just because it's a talking movie at the time doesn't mean it was easy to do like it was there's so much stuff that it needed to be more precise than anything probably now and it kind of reminded me like doing a podcast like make sure your mic is good the levels are right you're not hitting it not scratching it it really reminded me of that too which is nothing to do with the movie but just reminded me of that too which is really funny Oh well, yeah, definitely have some painful moments. The uh, you know, the infamous Black Hawk Down episode was a second. We uh, we did the entire ninety minute podcast, and I looked down and I didn't record my own track. So I had at the time John and Brian talking to each other with long, huge gaps of anything I would say <laughs> completely not being there. And uh, I I called them back. I was like, Yeah, we got a Black Hawk Down. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've done that before too. Oh, that makes me feel so much better then. <laughs> yeah. Imagine Donald O'Connor. That literally happened to him for uh, Make Him Laugh. He did all that, wound up being hospitalized, and they said, yeah, the tape got damaged, so can you do it again? (laughs) Oh, man. You know what's funny about that one? I kept sitting there going, like, man, this guy's a real artist to know how to land and all that stuff. This looks painful. He's just, like, landed on his back. That looks like it would hurt. But, I mean, he must know how to fall in such a way that it doesn't. He's a real artist, like an acrobat or a gymnast. And it turns out later after reading about it, nope, that's a concrete floor, and he just ached and hurt and was in a lot of pain the next day. (laughs) That's a chain smoker doing wall runs. (laughs) That's so crazy, yeah. And the shoes that he's doing that with are just, like, classic flat foot, like, old school, like, dress shoes. And, like, oh, my God, like... I could barely, like, get out of my house without, like, comfortable tennis shoes now after playing, like, sports in high school and college a little bit. So it's, like, I don't know how he would have done it. Like, like, like Chad said, like, him just smoking a bunch of cigarettes, too. Hey, he does uh, two wall backflips and then jumps through, like, a plaster wall and, you know, again, land, like, he's giving himself massive rug burn, no doubt, and landing on his knees. And there was one moment where he was dancing really low, again, with Don Lockwood, and I'm sitting there going, like, Man, how do adult men do that? That looks like it just hurts your knees. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, when I first saw the movie, I thought it was, when I first saw it back, when I first first, first saw it, it was, I thought it was like a not that actor. I thought it was like, oh, it had to be like a stunt double, right? And then I looked it up later on, like, wow, that was actually that actor. It blew my mind. Well, that's actually kind of an interesting point that this was playing off of, because in the 50s, it's very common for an actor if it's almost a prerequisite, you better be able to play multiple instruments. If you can speak another language, all the better. You know, if you can do Shakespeare, that's great. You should be able to dance. You should be able to tap dance. You should be able to ride a horse. You should be able to do fencing. And the degree of what they would ask for an actor to do back then was so much greater than it was now. And obviously, computers help fill in a lot of stuff today. But also, there wasn't this culture of, you know, Oh, Lionel Barrymore is your father? We're going to put you in a movie. And I'm not like sliding like our grandfather. like um, So I'm not like sliding Drew Barrymore specifically by doing that. But I mean, there's a lot of people in Hollywood, whether it be like Nicolas Cage. There's just so many people who's they're there because their dad was somebody. It's kind of interesting to see that difference 
in the 50s and they're kind of poking fun at the people who went before them as if to say look how empty their skill set is and they were delivering lines by just saying i love you i love you i love you i love you and it's like he can't even remember his lines and they were they were kind of poking fun at that so uh, in a way this movie is kind of celebrating how far movie acting had come yes yeah, true yeah i totally see that uh chad why don't you give us a cast rundown sure thing First, we have Gene Kelly. He plays Don Lockwood, who was a stuntman turned suave movie star. He's leading the production uh, and working with Lena Lamont. So he's half of that duo. Gene Kelly winds up, he does choreography for a lot of movies as well as directs and acts, um, anchors away, Hello Dolly, things like that. Debbie Reynolds, I've already mentioned, that is Carrie Fisher's mom, if you didn't know. She plays Kathy Selden, who is the love interest for this film. Kathy is winds up being Lena's voice. Uh, that's that's her main point, because she has this beautiful singing voice, even talking voice, and Lena has this screeching voice. So Kathy's needed to be the behind-the-scenes kind of star. Donald O'Connor, he plays Cosmo Brown. That's Don's lifelong pal who becomes the head of Monumental Pictures' music department. He's the piano player. There's Gene Hagen, who plays Lena Lamont, the other half of Lockwood and Lamont. She's a silent film star and this refined character who just has this horrendous voice. And so a lot of the movie surrounds the fact of, what are we going to do about Lena? She can't sing. She can't act. She can't dance. Said, uh... What was it? She's, she's a triple threat. <laughs> she's a triple threat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I do find it interesting. I'll throw this in. Gene Hagen got this part. Uh, they wanted Judy Holiday, but she wasn't available. She just won an Oscar. So Gene Hagen, who was her understudy, did an impression of Judy Holiday and got the part. Perfect. Millard Mitchell. He plays R.F. Simpson. His, his initials actually refer to Arthur Freed, also uses one of Freed's favorite expressions. Can't quite visualize it. We mentioned it earlier for a Broadway melody, but he's kind of the dopey producer. He can easily be tricked into things. But likable. Yes, yes, he's very likable. Douglas Fowley, he plays Roscoe Dexter. He's the director of Don and Lena's films. And finally, Rita Moreno. She plays Zelda Zanders. She is Lena's friend. She kind of serves as tattletale. She's introduced as like this, this flapper star early in the movie. I also want to point out Sid Charisse, the uh, dancer, uh, who has yes. a lot of screen time, and uh, she's very elegant. Also, the thing I have to point out, Gene Kelly, Pittsburgh's own Gene Kelly. So uh, Pat, Chad and I do this podcast out of Pittsburgh, so we want to call it a local. So Nice. Yeah. And uh, to this day, uh, if you get on rain delay at the Pittsburgh Pirates game, they put up screen footage uh, from Singing in the Rain. Yep. They like to honor that. Uh, I don't know if people know that or not, but uh, I didn't connect that before. I used to just think like, oh, it's raining. And then you realize the, that's on. You're like, well, that seems like something they do anywhere. But turns out, no, there's actual local connection. So fun fact there. That's cool. Yeah. When Howard Keel was the possible lead, the writers actually tried to create a Western story. This whole movie could have been an a whole nother thing and it was around gene kelly that they kind of chose to go with a different story where it was a vaudeville background who could survive the transition of going to a silent movie and then from silent movie into talkies so 
Uh, without Gene Kelly, you're looking at a cowboy rootin' tootin' western buckaroo bonsai time. So, Ray, do you want to see that movie instead? I think we saw that movie in this movie for just like a couple of seconds when he's like talking about his past and being the stunt double. I think that was probably the movie that they're going to make. <laughs> Good point. That's yeah. a, that might be a tip of the hat there to, to exactly yeah. that. I didn't think about that. Early pre-production, Judy Garland, June Allison, and Ann Miller were all considered for the role uh, of Kathy Selden, but they were all considered too old by that time. And Judy Garland, you would certainly know from Wizard of Oz. Jane Powell and Leslie Caron were also briefly considered for that. And instead, Debbie Reynolds gets cast. She's a newcomer. We haven't really gotten into it yet. Ray, do you like Debbie Reynolds here? Oh, she's awesome in this movie. She is just, she's adorable. She is really good at dancing even though like that wasn't her forte i remember reading something i think it was at the imdb facts that like said two things were the hardest giving birth and doing this movie because it was so taxing on her body and so exhausting so it was just she you could tell like they all had fun doing it and especially her just smiling and just it must be so hard to do all everything she did try to be a triple threat with like the singing the dancing and the acting and just yeah she's great in this movie i, lo- I, lo- I love her a lot in this movie and you're not kidding that she was working hard. She was only 19 when they cast her, and she still lived with her parents, and she commuted a long commute to the set, and she had to wake up at 4 a.m. to ride three different buses to get there to avoid the commute so that she could be there on time, and that uh, she would end up sleeping in the middle of the day on set because she was uh, getting home so late because many of these shoots would end, you know, well into the night and she was really pushing herself and as you mentioned learning to dance you know there's an unhappy story unfortunately where gene kelly yells at her and was very hard on her for not being able to dance to the level that he wanted and she was crying and uh, a famous fred astaire later finds her crying in a studio and uh, he continues to help her and coach her uh, with her dancing to help her through this movie uh, again and she doesn't look like a novice here does she ray no, she doesn't at all. It's it's funny, like Hollywood, the whole classic Hollywood. Oh yeah, Fred Astaire found her, and like started talking to her. It's just like, it's just kind of crazy. It's like to like fat met Fred Astaire, like oh my gosh, you're Fred Astaire. <laughs> like that's really cool that he came up and like, I, and that's why I read too. Like like Gene Kelly is sort of a hard person to work with, but uh, he kind of makes fun of himself in this movie too about like being himself a little bit, which is kind of uh, I guess uh, interesting and uh, humbling. I guess maybe I don't know. Yeah, Gene Kelly doesn't sound like he was quite as charming as he was in this movie. I was a little bit disappointed to find out that he was kind of a taskmaster drill sergeant. And uh, again, it's old Hollywood. Uh, They're not known for treating their women actors very nice. I think it's always funny. Kate McKinnon plays this silver screen actor from the 50s. And they would always she always goes over the top with it. But she's like, oh, yeah, they felt us a diet of lead paint between sets and they paid you i was just slapped um <laughs> yeah gene kelly does seem remorseful about that though like other later interviews he said he's very surprised that debbie reynolds still talked to him like you guys said she was a novice she was she was a gymnast and wow. had, didn't have any dancing experience so kudos to fred astaire there for finding her curled up underneath a piano what a visual there <laughs> yeah seriously so I, I had not had any other Debbie Reynolds experience, so this is my only experience going in. And it's not fair to assume that a kid would be like their parent, but for some reason I came in expecting Carrie Fisher's. I would say she's she's kind of got a, uh, you know, a rebel kind of... Well, yes, I laid that on thick without thinking about <laughs> it, but um, she's, she's fiery. I like her personality a lot, but in a way, her mother's not 
or at least in this role, she's not like Carrie Fisher. So I wasn't really sure what to expect when I got in. And she's just a big sweetheart. And I really liked her here. So Oh, see, I, I definitely found some of that Carrie Fisher attitude, especially when they first got together and she's just blowing him off. To me, I kind of saw Carrie in that role. But you haven't seen Charlotte's Web, Russell? I have seen Charlotte's Web. But that I mean, yeah. we don't get to see Debbie Reynolds doing her thing. <laughs> That's some kind of pig, though. Yeah, <laughs> humble, radiant, all that jazz. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sid Charisse. I want to. I want to talk about this a little bit. For all the crap that I gave the Broadway ballet for not fitting, it's it's cinematically really rich, and it's a beautiful scene. And it's like they had this beautiful concept, and they didn't know how to put it in, in the movie or what movie they should put it in, so they put it in this movie. But despite that, it's really ambitious. Uh, did you say it was seventeen minutes long, Chad? I, I did. Yes. Wow, I did not actually have a time on it, so it's it's actually longer than I thought. But let's talk about that for a second, and and about the merits. What are the good things about Broadway Melody? Ray, is it is it, it's it's a pretty experience, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it, it's it's a credible experience. It's just the way it just where he's on the like the conveyor belt. It's just it's crazy how like how much like you know time it took you know time to make that set and put all that effort in, and just everybody has to be choreographed at the right place, right time. It's probably not like probably maybe a few several takes. Me, I don't know. Maybe it took a lot of takes, but I don't know. Film was really expensive back then. She still is now, but I bet it was really expensive back then to make a movie. So you only had, I'm guessing, maybe a certain amount of time. But, but yeah, I, I, I think it's awesome. Even though, like you said, it does feel that's the only part of the movie I think is probably weak is that that whole scene. But I think it's really just fun. It just for me, I like I said, I'm along for the ride. I'm totally into it. I love when they go into like the. Like the club, he starts dancing with the woman, and there's it's just really cool. I, I love people. I just love seeing people dance too. That have the, the just seeing people dance in general is just fun, especially people with so much talent as the people in this movie. Because I, I used to be really into break dancing growing up, and just watching the foot. I always amazed myself watching the footwork in this movie, and they do a really great job, like zooming out, like have it zoomed out so you see their feet moving and doing the steps. Like I think a lot of movies nowadays, like a, a movie, just kind of like step it up. Like a lot of the shots are zoomed in. But then, like they zoom out when they want to focus on the like, the the foot, and then but they zoom back into like the upper body, and it's like I don't want to see that. I want to see the footwork. I want to see the chore- how much choreograph it took to make that scene. And this movie just like it's it's very wide. You see everything going on the screen. So much to look at, and especially particularly that scene is just really cool. I think it's really really awesome. That's a good point. As someone who cannot dance, I really appreciate the wide array of dancing in this movie. As we talked in Broadway, uh, Melody, it's it's elegant. It's it's like ballet almost. But at the same time, I'm a sucker for that vaudevillian kind of like when they're sitting there tap dancing and everybody's booing them off the stage. It's like, don't boo those guys. That's talented. I can't do that. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm enamored with how fast their feet are moving and sync and stuff like that. And uh, watching them play that violin, like, and passing it off. I'm aware that that's literally not like how they're playing it, but still it's choreographed beautifully. And I'm sitting there yeah. going like, man, I, I, I don't know. And then people are like, like unimpressed by it. So uh, I guess audiences were tougher in the twenties. I don't know, maybe not. But I, I'm, I'm <laughs> impressed by that. So yeah, this is this is a audio podcast for a reason because uh, I, I, I'm not much to look at, especially if I'm dancing. So uh, my wife tells me that it's very robotic. So <laughs> I just think if you're having fun with it, it doesn't matter if you know how to dance. I'm just feeling the music, whatever jam it is. Just, just go for it, man. You know, just you know, let it all out. Full blown Elaine Bennis over here. <laughs> in creating this movie as i mentioned arthur freed came up with the idea of a back catalog of songs that he wanted to build around so he he brings in nacho herb brown and betty comden 
and uh, Adolph Green and from New York to come up with a story to tie these together. And so they first refused the assignment. They didn't want to do it. And they thought that they had a contract that said anything that they did had to have all the lyrics in it. They Sorry, that they, that they had to write all the lyrics for those songs so that they weren't going to do it because they didn't have the control to do it. And it turned out their lawyer came back and uh, a new lawyer came back and said, well, actually, you do have the ability to do it. So they changed their mind and they came to do it. So uh, they ended up taking all the songs that had originally been done during silent films and put them to talkies and they were popular audiences. So Comden and Green came up with an idea for this story and they put them through a period of Hollywood in an era that, that was familiar with them. And so that, that scene that you're talking about, Ray is something that they wanted to play off of. And so they just continued to work on the script and they had three different openings. They had a silent movie premiere. They had a magazine interview with a star as well as a star meets girl and they couldn't figure out which way they wanted to go with it. They were running out of time and Betty Comden's husband comes home from New York and says, just do all three. And they did. So that's how this thing kind of came together. It's It seems so scattershot that uh, I asked you earlier, does it seem like it's cohesive? But when you go back and look at it, I remember watching Across the Universe from the Beatles. I'm sitting there going like, first of all, this is all visually pleasant. And I love the people involved, but what the heck's happening in this movie? None of this makes sense. This movie does a much better job. Oh, yeah, for sure. It totally does that. And I, it, the strong points are, of course, the I think I, I, all the, this all movie, this entire movie has a lot of strong points. But of course, the musical numbers um and i think uh, kind of like uh, the new mission impossible that came out i think they i think the the director said they came up with the him and tom cruise came up with the stunts first and then they're like okay now we got to make a movie around it and that movie is awesome and the stunts are awesome in that movie kind of reminded me when you said that about this movie like they made had the musical numbers and then they built the movie around the musical numbers which is really interesting but i think it all works pretty much really well in this movie that's a good point that's how bond movies are actually made as well they think about where they want to go uh what they want to do and then they go back and figure out how like what what villain that's going to be so maybe it's not as uncommon as i think to me to me it seems like you would start with a story or like a book and you're like hmm man what if this were a musical what if we put music to this and that's how my brain works but clearly you can re- come from the opposite direction with some success yeah for sure especially when move any maybe art form it's sometimes kind of works maybe works for, uh works better to work backwards too it's like we learn memento you work backwards and it turns out to be a good movie or interesting movie so so we talked about Gene Kelly not necessarily being the nicest guy on set, and uh, Donald O'Connor also would confirm that, saying that he was afraid to mess up and was constantly worried about him yelling at him. And actually, Kelly actually held back <clears throat> uh, on uh, Debbie Reynolds because he knew she was new, even though he wasn't that nice to her either. But he especially laid in to Donald O'Connor, and uh, he he had a hard time uh, with this. And so it's kind of funny, this chemistry that we see between them, this warmth wasn't actually conveyed offset so kind of when gene kelly mentions like to lena lamont like i'm a i'm the world's greatest actor in a way donald o'connor who was having a lot of tensions offset was kind of actually doing that same thing because this was not all smiles behind stage but they hide it well don't they yeah they hide it very well i think it it could totally that's acting man like that you think they're best friends on screen and off screen they're just like totally not at all. Kind of reminds me like a like a sports athlete. Like maybe they don't get along with their team very well, but to, when they're on the court or they're on the field, like they work cohes. They work so well together, and I think that takes a lot of just chemistry and be professional too. It does. So, Chad, what do you think about Gene Kelly as a director? Because we talked about his habits and how like he not he might not have the highest morale on set, but do you like his discipline to be able to put together all these different music numbers into a whole? Like, how do you feel like he does as a visual? side of things as well yeah just he hits every 
note for me. He is a perfectionist, like we've talked about. He was clearly hard on the actors. Uh, one of the one of my favorite scenes in Good Morning took 40 shots. Debbie Reynolds talks about 14-hour days and her feet bleeding. But I think Gene Kelly recognized, hey, whenever we're doing these multiple actors on a screen, everything has to be synchronized. It needs to look right. Everything needs to, to be clean lines. Uh, I can't imagine how much of a nightmare a Broadway melody was to, to get right. And they're just visually stunning pieces, too. Singing in the Rain, Broadway Melody, all of those are just stunning to look at. And then so many things happening in the background, like with Make Them Laugh, or even just subtle things in the background, where you're seeing other movies take place as they're walking along. He's just always got something to look at. Absolutely. And I gotta say, do you think that uh, singing in the Ra- uh, sorry singing in the rain influenced maybe directing Damien Chazelle for La La Land at All Ray? Oh, I, I think it's not just inspiration. I think it's basically a ripoff of this movie. Um, I'm not. I just just sorry to say that if anybody's a big the Damien Chazelle fan, I I think he's overrated. Uh, I I like his movies. I don't love them. That La La Land is fine. I was like, oh, this is just this is just singing in the rain. Cool, and it's like. A modern day version of it and singing rain does a lot better job than i think lala land and also the artist takes a lot of this from the talkies to the silent part of it which the artist does and yeah it just goes back you know taking from the well you know taking from that well just to make movies out of other stuff and i'm as you can tell i'm not a big fan of lala land but i think it's totally a rip off of singing in the rain or maybe maybe some people call it homage but i think it's kind of a rip off whatever i wish they had ripped off the ending if that were the case <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I don't want to go too far into La La Land, but I got to the end of those. I was like, what? No, do over. <laughs> that one won Oscars though. Yeah, it did. It did. But it reminds me of Ray did did a podcast on Titanic, and you told people about the alternative uh, ending on that, and it was like the worst alternative ending of a movie that I had heard of. I was just like, wow, that they they filmed that. That was what they did. So yeah. That's on Bradford James Cameron though. Do something like that though, like to film me. Like we want to put this in the like, oh, no, Never mind. And then, like just totally take it out. But no, it's a good point. Some cutscenes though. Talking about cuts, uh, things that weren't in the movie. Early draft scripts of Sing in the Rain were sung by Reynolds, O'Connor, and Kelly. And in the end, they went to Kelly getting this solo scene of him doing it. It's an iconic scene. Again, it's it's kind of the icon of the movie. Or there's a lot of high points. But would you say this is what stands out? as the iconic image of it ray um i would i would say i would fat man for me i think uh, i think I'm, I'm just oozing over this movie so i apologize everybody but uh i just i think a lot of things stand out in this movie I, for me it's just i think for me it's um oh gosh uh good morning for me that's the one that stands out for me as like the standout song for me because granted going back my mom used to sing that song and i didn't know what the heck she was singing like what is that what is that song that you're singing when I, and then now as I got older, I figured out what it was. But for me, that's what stands out. But that that that's a interesting uh, scene as well. I mean, not interesting. It's a it's a great scene as well. Yeah, and another one that I wish had. I guess musically, I wish that it had been in there. Uh, if you if you check it out, there's another one called "You Are My Lucky Star" by uh, Debbie Reynolds. She gets a solo song, but it gets cut in the movie. In a way, she's looking off into the stars, thinking about uh, Don Lockwood's character before they actually connect and hit it off together i see why in the movie they cut it out i like it that she's a she's the strong woman and that he's the one stuck on her as opposed to her being starstruck over him 
but it's still a good song so it's it's like i said i get why it didn't make the movie the story is better that it's not in there but uh it's nice that debbie would have gotten her solo moment she doesn't get that grand solo moment other than the final scene but again she's standing behind a curtain that's true yeah i could totally yeah i, I totally get that i kind of wish she had more of a prolific role in the movie too rather than just like sandwich between two men but you know 1952 hollywood at the time too so that's right i am glad though that it's just don lockwood for singing in the rain just it's that love-struck, carefree attitude of, you know, he's just thrilled with his life. And it, it would have been a little dampened by having two other people. And I was even thinking during Good Morning, wow, getting three people to choreograph and, and be in sync this entire time, that had to be ludicrously difficult. And he probably just said, you know what, we're doing that for one scene, we're not doing it any more times i'm just gonna do it because it's just it's killing debbie reynolds and uh (laughs) it's it was probably killing his patience too well here's the sad thing for debbie reynolds after doing all that and her feet bleeding uh, she popped a blood vessel actually it's not just like oh i got some blisters like i wore some shoes that were not comfortable it was worse than that in in the in keeping with the movie our large parts of her dancing are dubbed with tap dancers that sound the way they want them to sound so some of that dancing which obviously there's no fooling the visuals she's doing the motions but in order to get that as you mentioned kelly wanting to be he wanted that crisp precise sound so they dubbed the dancing better than having your voice dubbed that's not true yeah you know this movie really glorifies voice actors it's funny because i was sitting there thinking when they were struggling with the taping of it i was like they just dubbed old actors voices and obviously that was part of the plot that i didn't really realize where it's going but again i mentioned bond movies and just comes back into my head uh ursula andrus didn't speak english well at all and so they brought her on the set and they're like what do you want us to do and they're like so they dubbed her and the same woman who dubs her dubs several of the bond girls in the early going so what you see in this movie is very much part of the scene that pretty face that was on the screen but then you had the pretty voice behind the set uh, backing them up this movie is charming in that it gives them credit Uh, Whereas before, you certainly, I don't think you can count the voice actors that you know by name at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I see that. And that's what I like about this movie, too. It's it's very, like I said, tongue-in-cheek all through Hollywood, but maybe trying to give props to, like, people behind the curtain are probably more talented than people you see on screen that made this movie or made whatever, made this movie. And I, that's why I really got out of this movie too. Watching it now is just like, yeah, that's so, like, that's how I felt when I got out of this movie. It was just like, people in front of the screen are probably less talented than those that help create it or help put these people look, make these people on screen look good. So given that we're in the time of the transition of silent movies, we're in the late twenties here. And it's one of those things where this movie is made in the fifties and there's so much charm of this movie that is from the fifties. It's one of those things where I personally struggled with, I, there was mentioning of a flapper actress. And when you watch the old videos of them in the theater, like, in the quiet in the silent film footage you are pulled back in the 20s but somehow whether it's the vibrant colors here that make you think it's the 50s i i had a struggle placing myself in the 20s i don't know if you would agree with that would you say that you felt like you were in the 20s chad it's hard to say but uh i mean for the most part i i felt like the 20s were the cars looked like they were from the 1920s the costume designer apparently had fits over this they had worked on gone with the wind and said this was the hard one to do but uh sid's 
Charisse, uh, she shows up and she kind of looks like Maleficent in one of the scenes. I, I actually kind of wondered, I looked at the dates for when Maleficent was a character and it was after this. And I kind of wonder if that that dark uh, black costume was an inspiration for it. Hard to say. Uh, Ray, do you, what do you think? Do you do you feel like you're immersed in the late 20s or is this, is this too much of a child of the 50s? Um, I, I have to be able to go along with Chad. I'm not too sure but if it's the 50s or 20s. I'm just not familiar with that style and stuff. But I, I felt like I was in the 20s. Uh, uh, maybe it's just my ignorance of the style and the, the history back then and what it was like. But I felt like I was transported. Uh, to, I, for me, I just felt like a transport to old Hollywood. Like there was just this vague time that I was transported to, and it was before, or right before when talkies came out. Before, what's the movie they reference? Uh, the Jazz Singer. Yes. Uh, so before then, which is interesting that they have that. It's funny watching in 2019 that movie brought up is sort of interesting as well. But uh, yeah, but anyways, I felt like I was transported to the 20s. Yeah. Costume design. There's a lot of rich costume work in this movie. Uh, Chad, what are some of the standout uh, wardrobe moments for you? I think the scene with all the models displaying the different types there were wedding dresses it was a really hideous wedding dress but then there were flapper styles there were kind of long boas and they're going through all these different genres of clothing all these different occasions so they really had a great chance to showcase the costume work and again broadway melody there's there's so many bright costumes going on with all of the dancers there. There were probably 100 plus on screen. Sid Charisse mentioned her as well. All the costumes just really pop and they really contribute to the movie's overall tone of just this bright, fun, energetic movie. They do. They do. Uh, and it's interesting to note here, the film overran its original target and uh so it had a final price tag of 2.5 million dollars 157,000 of which is spent on walter plunkett's costumes alone uh it's a lot of money at the time and uh it, it, it is very rich and colorful and as you mentioned chad uh there's a scene it seems random at the time but it's short enough and it seems like it's just part of the transitions into talkies and uh, where they go around, they have I Love These Beautiful Women song number, and they're, they're really bringing out, it's like a fashion show. And it's just yeah. showing the vibrant nature of going to being able to sing on film. And they certainly brought the visuals on that scene as well. But throughout the movie, a lot of color, and it's part of the charm of the movie. Uh, Ray, do you agree that the wardrobe is part of what encapsulates this oh yeah the wardrobe in this movie is just on point and like you said about the colors that's what i wanted to bring up too is just it just pops with so much color and you think about it was 1952 so color technicolor was a huge thing it was really in you know this was like on point with like the colors are the costumes are bright they're just vibrant they're uh they're so good even like when he's when gene kelly's singing in the rain and you know he has the hat and his coat and it's just soaking wet and the umbrella is just so great the costuming and the the, the coloring in this movie it's just it's fabulous and that, uh, uh, one costume that stands out to me every time i every time i watch this movie is just like whether at the hollywood party the cake scene you know when she pops out and she has like these big well not her but the whole, her whole group of singers have like these little puff puffy wrists uh like uh puffy wrist things i don't know what you would call them Hand- cuffs i don't Muffs. know but yeah yeah like yeah something like that yeah, it, yeah. like like they're just they're just really 
all together. They're all very pink and very pretty, and they have gold. It's just so attention to detail. It's it's amazing, and you could totally tell, you know, that the uh, they spared no expense when it came to the costumes, and it's it's it totally it's totally awesome. It's interesting you mentioned the thing in the rain sketch. Uh, this this is another one of those fun old Hollywood treble stories. They had uh, to cover two outdoor blocks with blackouts to make it seem like it's a night scene. And they equipped them with overhead sprayers for Gene Kelly to perform his title number in. And uh, there was a severe water shortage in Culver City that day. And when the sequence was shot, so they had water problems in California back then, too. And unfortunately, homeowners in the area turned their lawn sprinklers on, which is why... uh, people in California, you should consider zero-scaping. Uh, it's, it's more in, environmentally friendly. But all the lawn sprinklers that were going off made it so that they didn't have the water pressure to do the rain work that day. So they had to come back a whole nother day. So uh, it's a it's a three-day effort to do this thing in the rain just because they don't have enough water in Southern California at this point. So they had a hard time conjuring up the rain to sing in. <laughs> That's actually That's pretty good. I didn't know that. Yeah, that, that you can totally tell like the water too when it's coming down. It's very sparse in some areas and some scenes where they cut to like, oh well, it looks like look like they're running out of water there. And the Gene Kelly just like goes under the one that's like kind of drenching down and kind of steps away from the ones that are like kind of just dribbling down. And it's just really funny. Absolutely. And you know, there's a myth that says uh, they mixed milk in to the raindrops to get them to show up better on camera, but this has been debunked. It it, it was just a difficult angling of backlighting. And they had a hard time to get the rain on camera, but there's no milk in there. It does uh, it does a body good, but it doesn't help the rain show up on camera any better. So interesting. I didn't know that was a a theory or whatever it was. Yeah, that's, that would have been so gross to clean up after. I mean, it would it would have been nasty. It's like the uh, hang or the uh, it's like the hanging uh, little person in Wizard of Oz that they. Um, uh, is rumored to happen. It's it, it's 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 an urban legend. Well, no, that Wizard of Oz thing is real, though. If you look at it, it's totally real. <laughs> just kidding. You just uh, cue Ron Burgundy. Milk was a bad idea. Milk was a bad decision. Uh, so uh, this soundtrack's amazing. And uh, Ray, you mentioned uh, "Good Morning" is is your top moment. Chad, what about you? Being what musically is a high point for you musically here? Jeez. All of them. Uh, (laughs) It's so tough. I mean, fit is a fiddle. You mentioned it earlier. The dancing is just great when Cosmo's jumping on Don's back and they're doing those low kind of Russian kicks. Oh, that's great. The singing in the rain sequence is wonderful. Make him laugh. Has all the stunt work. My, My personal favorite, just because of the kind of making fun of the addiction coach, is Moses Supposes. And that's that's one of the few original songs here. But uh, it's not even a full song in the movie. But I I really enjoy them having fun with the diction coach, twirling in the robes to make themselves look like biblical times, jumping on chairs, jumping on pianos and desks. There's just so much going on in that routine. It's just the most fun for me. Yeah, it is. Uh, and it goes all over the place, too, because you get the tender moments with uh, songs like All I Do Is Dream Of You, and you get the funny side of it with Make Them Laugh. And then we talked about the artistic side of broad, uh, Broadway Melody. Uh, and then you get like these happy-go-lucky songs like Good Morning. It just... It, it actually covers quite a range. Ray, what do you feel about the music as a whole overall piece? We talked about it. It was pulled together but are there any other high points that you wanted to call out in specific like chad said when they're in the when they're doing the speech coach and you look at you look at the scene in general it looks like it's kind of just weird like this is like there's a lot in the set like there's just a desk there's some paintings 
there's a couple like just whatever paintings on like mounted on the wall and then there's curtains and then they it seems like when when gene kelly walks in i mean when when cosmo walks in and then they just like do this routine and it's just like they pull the the curtains they do the painting like chad said and like it seems like there's like so many things that for them to play with and even though when there wasn't doesn't look like there's much to play with just so creative with the setting and just that's what i love about that scene it's just the creativity of it but that song is fun too like i said for me it's uh it's just good morning It's, it's a cute beautiful song and i always think of it when i kind of have like a kind of a rough morning i wake up on the wrong side of bed that song kind of pops in my head for a moment and it kind of gives me a little spark um but yeah i i I think the music in this movie is just it it's perfect it's so good it's so i i I don't know if anybody can listen to the soundtrack and not crack a smile any of the songs that come on because if you don't i'm gonna just assume you don't have a heart because this movie just has so much heart it's just so fun and it's so cute and beautiful you're dead inside yeah i (laughs) I mean good morning for me too is i've mentioned it before i sing it to my daughter every single morning when i get her up and she she kind of had this wide-eyed recognition of this lady is singing daddy's song (laughs) so that was fun then she looked over at you like you didn't come up with that yeah then she started asking for them to sing jesus loves me and i'm like (laughs) They don't do that one. I'm sorry, but <laughs> but yeah, she was very happy for for Good Morning. Yeah, uh, this is the part of the show where we like to say, "Look for this, Ray." Are there any fun things to find? Hmm. Uh, I think for me, if somebody's watching this movie, I would say just when you're watching the dancing scenes, just watch the feet because the feet the feet movement are incredible in this movie. And and like you said. The, the tap dancing sounds are added in later, which is, I didn't know that until you said, like, wow, that's crazy. They did a really great job with the sound effects. Uh, but the footwork is just so good and just, oh, yeah, I just, I just, I just pay attention to the footwork. It's so great. And it's just something you'll get, most of us get captivated to watch in the upper body, but just watch the feet, watch the movement. It is just, it's a beautiful dance with just watching the feet move back and forth, in and out, up, you know, all that stuff. Just, it's really cool. Chad, look for this. Sid Charisse, who we've talked about, she's the long-legged dancer in Broadway, Melody. She had never smoked a cigarette in her life, and the opening shot with her is her smoking. She actually had to be taught how to smoke, and she found it so disgusting, she never smoked again. I think it's funny, especially during the 50s when everyone's smoking, they had to bring in smoking experts and teach this young ballet dancer, here's how you smoke a cigarette. Man, in the 50s, I thought they gave cigarettes away in, like, sweetened kids', kids cereal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were passed out like candy. Yeah. Uh, Halloween. Trick or treat. Have some cigarettes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Here's a pack of Marlboros. There you go, kid. Yeah. Why aren't you smoking already? So, for me, I'm going to actually point out the fact that Gene Kelly was actually sick with a fever of 103 when he did the Singing in the Rain number. And we talked about him not necessarily being on the best of terms with O'Connor uh, and showing great chemistry. I watched it closely the second time, and I, he doesn't look sick to me, but uh, apparently he was sick, and those those were long days for him as well at that point. Uh, fooled me. He looks like he's having a great time. Oh, yeah. And then uh, I just wanted to, on the Singing in the Rain number, there were six other movies where this was used in. The Hollywood Review in 1929 was where it was sung twice in the fir- uh, for the first movie that it was in. Babes in Arms in 1939. Speak Easily in 1932. The Old Dark House in 1932. Little Nellie Kelly uh, in 1940, which was Judy Garland performing it. As I mentioned, she was considered for the casting, but then said to be too old by the time this movie rolls around, so she certainly 
sang it. And the Babe Ruth story in 1948 sang it. And I should also mention, this is my second favorite movie that has the song Singing in the Rain in it. Uh, Chad, you probably know my favorite. Or maybe you don't know. My favorite is What About Bob with Bill Murray. <laughs> Very good call. Yeah. Nice. Movie superlative time. Ray, you ready to hand out some awards? Yeah, of course. MVP. Wow. That was really hard for me to choose the MVP. Maybe on a different day, it'd be a different person. It would, for me, though, for today, it would be uh, Jean Higgle. I think she does a great job of Miss Lamont, and just her voice is pitch, and she is she is so funny in this movie, too. So funny. And for me, watching this movie again, I felt bad for her at the end. Like, she kind of got called out, which, it's a, it's a just desserts, you know, but I kind of just felt a little empathy for her, but I, 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 lo- I, I just like her character. You know, you don't hate that character. You just like kind of laugh at her a little bit. You kind of love to hate her? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she's just a, uh, such a great job in that role, even though there's not, she doesn't do any dancing and she's like the one with the quote unquote, like no like talent, I guess, when it comes to talkies and stuff. Well, I think I'm stupid or something. Yeah. <laughs> just, it, every time she talks, it's just so funny. And I just, I think for me, that's what my MVP would be to her. Her diction scenes were great. It's so good. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. <laughs> that was so good. good. Chad, who's your MVP? For me, it has to be Gene Kelly. He directed this, provided the choreography, he starred in it. He's he's the taskmaster, but he's also the engine that makes it go. I'm going to go with the Steel City's own Gene Kelly as well. You know, I was leaning Debbie Reynolds my first pass to the movie, but then by the time I got to the Sing in the Rain solo number, I was just like, well, that just tipped the scales. Yeah, and when you find out that he's the director and puts it all together. Yeah, I got to go Gene Kelly as well. Best Supporting Actor, Ray. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Debbie Reynolds, I think, from learning about the history, about how, what she went through. And she's just so great. And like Chad said, too, like kind of gives off the Princess Leia vibes a little bit, kind of be like the spark plug, you know, not going to take it laying down. You know, I don't need like a, I'm independent, too. We get that kind of vibe from her in this movie. Mm-hmm. She's just so great in this movie. And yeah, Debbie Reynolds, I think, for me, is my best supporting. Yeah. Great pick. Chad, Best Supporting Actor. Donald O'Connor. I really love the Cosmo character. I I love the relationship that he has with Don. Uh, I love the fast quips. You already mentioned we searched every cake in town. Uh-huh. You know, he, he has a lot of great, he has a great dad joke. It's like, Cosmo, call me a cab. You're a cab. <laughs> <laughs> and And he's just, he's so quick with those quips and it's just this great dialogue. No, it's another great pick. And I'm going to consider Gene Hagen for MVP, but uh, I went with Gene Kelly. But I'm going to go Gene Hagen for my best supporting actor. I mean, a lot of the reasons that Ray covered. She's just so funny. She does so much for the movie. She's a lovable, hateable villain character. She makes more money than Calvin and Coolidge put together. (laughs) (laughs) I I really don't feel like in any of these categories there was a wrong choice. Yeah, me either. Hidden gem, Ray. Uh, I'm going to say... Millard Mitchell, I'm gonna say, is R.F. Simpson. I think yeah. when he's on screen, he he he's had this deadpan look. Sorry, it took so long. I was just there's so many I could choose anybody, but it just he just has this deadpan look and just like he has this tone, this like old man adult voice that I don't know, it resonates to me and just like just a straight shooter has no expression and just plays it so well too. It's just, he's really funny in this movie playing just like the. the just a straight man. Sorry, I love it when he and uh, Lockwood and uh, O'Connor all pull the rope and then, uh, you know, at the end. And they, they take such great joy in it, too, as they unveil the fact that uh, Lena Lamont is not singing. So. Yeah. Chad, 
Uh, who is your hidden gem? I'm going to go deep on this. Gwen Verdon. She provided the tap sounds during the Dancing in the Rain sequence. Uh, she actually did tap in water to create that iconic scene. That's a deep cut. That's good Good. Good credit to those you don't see. Uh, in keeping with the theme of this movie, I'm going to go with uh, Douglas Fowley. The, he's the Roscoe Dexter, the crazy director who just has absolutely had it with Lena Lamont and trying to make this whole talky thing work and it's causing him to have acid reflux and he just can't stand it and the whole thing's uh he's high strung and this is a great character uh he adds a lot of humor in this so small small footprint in the movie big impact yeah recast if you had to recast somebody which can be hard to do sometimes but if you had to recast somebody who would it be and perhaps who would who might you put in their place ray uh, I have a question. So does this person have to be like an actor or actress that was acting in or somebody was in 1952 or could they be like from the future or like the past more or it can be anything. It can be anything. Like when you're in the 80s or the 90s or the 70s, we try and get you to stay in that era. But we're fully aware that if you did dig up somebody that it's going to be hard to know at this point. So by all means, uh, when you're dealing with a 50s movie. Feel free to say if you remade it today, who you would put in their shoes. Okay, if, if we remade it, this movie today, Singularity, which would be a travesty. But I would say I would do. Oh gosh, Wolverine. What's his name? Jackman. Hugh Jackman. What's his, yes, Hugh Jackman as Gene as a Don Lockman. Oh. I think if they recast it, I think he would be awesome. As Ganson, he has done stages before in the past, and he has done musical musical movies. But I think he would be an interesting Don Lockwood in 2019. Yeah, I dig it. Do you give him the claws? <laughs> Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, why not? Singing the yeah. rain with claws. Yeah, it's everything's better with claws. Instead of an umbrella, he has the claws, and he comes out. You know, <laughs> yeah. Logan supposes. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, Chad, who is your recast? Yeah, I thought about the obvious one with just Judy Garland since it was mentioned so much, but I think I'm gonna go closer to present day. I'm gonna recast Lena Lamont with Fran Drescher, another person who's beautiful but has that horrible screeching acting voice. Yeah, that's uh, she's that's known for true. the bad voice for sure. Uh, <laughs> for me, I'm going to go with Kathleen Freeman. This is a little lower in the cast. This is as Phoebe Densmore. She's Lena's diction coach. I don't know why in a movie where everybody made me smile, like uh, the male diction coach made me laugh, she's just kind of there and like, I don't know. I, I'm not... I feel like she just takes up space. So... Uh, this is a throwback. She actually was around. Uh, Maggie Smith is who I'm going to put in there because I was just like the way Maggie Smith talks and I could see her schooling somebody on like, that's not how you should speak. Mm, okay. That other diction coach, I looked up his career. Like 90% of his career, he's playing Hitler. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> then he's a diction coach. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess you can be a diction Nazi then. So uh, yeah. <laughs> He was. He was a literal grammar Nazi. There you go. Uh, best shot, Ray. For me is when Don and Katie are are singing in the stage, and the, it's like it kind of looks like Gone with the Wind type of background, and they're just singing together with the ladder, and it's just so beautiful, and it's it's quiet, and it, they're just isolated together, and it's just like the most romantic. I think for me, the most one of the most romantic things I've seen on film, and just it's it just oozes with emotion, and just all the feels in that shot are just I I love that so much and uh, that's my that's my pick great choice chad best shot there's a scene fairly early on when don and cosmo are walking past movie sets and there are different movies being shot it's this one long tracking shot 
there's a guy sweeping in front of a painted set and they move on and there's people moving equipment and then as they're walking there's a fight on top of a trolley with people moving the background there's also some tribes people dancing around a fire for another movie so you get all this color all this action and just normal conversation they're walking by like yep this is normal to have guys punching each other on top of a trolley while we just talk about hollywood sure my best shot came during the broadway melody it's funny when i watched this the first time they have this really amazing uh part where the signs turn on and the, the camera zooms out and the stage is looks like it's a million miles away on my second time through i i fell in love with a different part though during the broadway melody the part where uh sid Charisse is dancing with gene kelly that's just really well shot i mean it's oh it's, the scandalous scene yeah, yeah. Well, it, it is pretty steamy for the 50s, I have to admit. Yeah, and, and, and making it even steamier, I didn't mention this earlier, but uh, uh, that white dress that Sid has on, uh, she uh, she was revealing through it, and uh, her dark pubic hair was showing, so they had to go back to wardrobe and add some layers there to uh, hide it, and allegedly, allegedly, according to the internet, uh, the head of wardrobe came out and said, all right, guys, we've got Sid's crotch licked. We're ready to go. Oh, jeez. <laughs> They did have to, there is a scene you can tell during that sequence that actually got cut. Uh, there's this weird jump in it, and it apparently was when she wrapped her legs around him. That got cut out, and so they had to resync the audio. Interesting. Okay. Wardrobe malfunction. But anyway, it's the long shot scene where they're dancing. They have these steps. They're really well done. They're wrapped up in that white robe. I just That is a great shot, and uh, that's my shot of the movie. So, uh, Best scene, though. Right. This is a really quick scene, and probably a lot of people wouldn't even, like even think about it. But for me, I always found the scene where uh, Gene Kelly, not, not with Gene Kelly, uh, with Don's in the car, and then he jumps out of the car and hops on another car, and then goes onto the trolley, and the trolley just goes away. I was like, that's really cool. I wonder if he actually did that, or if, well, we're pretty sure he actually probably really did that. But I was like, that's really this really parkour back in 1952. I thought it was really cool. Uh, it's not a long scene, not a singing scene, but that's one that always kind of amazed me. Cause just, just being that, a being older man doing that seems so much work. And I, it makes me tired looking at it too, just watching him do that. But I think that's a really cool shot or scene. Yeah. I had the same reaction. Like, was there a stunt double, but there really wasn't any time or cut that it could have been. I, I yeah. think he really did it. Yeah. That's, that's so crazy. And so awesome that he, did that maybe but i'm pretty sure i'm gonna say he did but yeah chad best scene i've already talked about it a little bit but the moses supposes part uh really just everything about that routine the difficulty the set pieces we've we've covered it it's just it makes me happy wow didn't see that one coming well since nobody picked it i have to go with the singing in the rain sketch or not sketch but uh the the clip where gene kelly is you know pleased uh even though uh he's in a torrential downpour and things aren't really going his way, something, you know, there's, he found a light at the end of the tunnel and uh, he's pretty happy about it. So he dances in the rain. Uh, it's it's the moment of the movie for me. Change one thing. If you had to change something, Ray, what would it be? We're all going to hammer the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, for me, I'm going to be one of those people who's like, I could change. I know what part you guys are going to talk about. It, so I'm just going to say, I'm going to be just, I'm going to, be in the middle of like, I don't want to change anything about this movie. It has a, has a flaw or maybe a flaw or two, but I just think it's so beautiful. It's just so fun. I think it's for everybody. So I, I would, I'm going to be lame and be like, I would change nothing. Uh, oh, you got to say push, something. Ray, Ray's saying push. there's not, yeah, Ray, Ray's <laughs> saying there's not enough smoking in this movie. That's what he's. That, there'd definitely be a lot more smoking. More smoking. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Chad, 
What is your change one thing? Yeah, I'll go after Broadway Melody. 17 minutes, and it's 17 minutes without Donald O'Connor, without Debbie Reynolds, due to scheduling conflicts for the former and due to dancing ability for the latter. I missed them. I missed them a lot. It's just too much time to be away, and we're just dwelling too much. It does set up a great joke at the end, but I think you could have made that joke after like seven or eight minutes. Yeah, ditto. I, I, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, Broadway Melody doesn't fit the movie. It's beautiful, and I'm glad I watched it, and I had a great time doing it, but I felt like I watched another movie for a second and then came back and watched Singing in the Rain. So I'm with Chad on that one. And it just has to do with fit. Best quote, though. Ray, what is your favorite quote of this movie? There are so many good one-liners, uh, but for me, it's when Cosmo Brown says, uh, Lena, she can't act, she can't sing, she can't dance. A triple threat. And I, every time I hear that, I laugh out loud so hard. And it's just like, I don't know why. He just says it so quick. And it's such a good like dagger shot. It's just so funny. <laughs> I just that's, what I'm, that's my favorite quote of this movie. It's so good. Chad, what is your favorite quote? I'd rather kiss a tarantula. You don't mean that. Hey, Joe, bring me a tarantula. <laughs> uh, their banter is great. For me, this this one uh, may not have hit the top of the list, but uh, when Don Lockwood goes looking for Kathy at the party uh, and uh, she's been upset by uh, him kind of razzing her for being a cake dancer, he goes in the back room where the other women are and uh, they're alarmed at first and uh, Don Lockwood's frantic to find Kathy and he goes up to one of the dancers and he says, where did Miss Selden go? And the dancer says, uh, she grabbed her things and she bolted right away. Is there anything I can do for you? Because she's into him. And he goes, sorry, I don't have time to find out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just, it, it's timing, it's the scene, it's the pace of it, and it's delivered beautifully. So that really cracked me up. And he does it all with dignity. Ray, do you want to remind people one more time where they can hear more from you? Yeah, if you're interested, you could uh, look on your favorite podcasting app and look up retro reviews that's the podcast i'm on and my co-host peter we just yeah every cut comes out every thursday we drop a new episode and uh if you want our social media stuff you can find it on our podcast i'm not gonna give all that right now but i get just uh, hope you find us and uh, listen to us well with uh, retro reviews roundtable hopefully you subscribe too they pair well together so this is the moment of truth on a five-star scale you can go half stars by the way uh i don't know five umbrellas or scale or whatever uh that's more along uh, ray always does fun creative scales there so uh how many umbrellas thank you, you for saying it? thank you for saying creative i appreciate that <laughs> yes how many umbrellas do you give singing in the rain ray wow man this is a hard one for me i know i haven't talked about this movie a lot in in great detail and how much i like it so i don't know it's a five out of five for me five out of five brother this movie i think is for everybody. You could show it to, like Chad did show it to his wife uh, and his kid. And it's, I think it's a perfect movie for kids to watch. An hour and a half, has song, dancing, lots of colors, and also great for adults. Get out a lot out of it. It's just, I think it's a, a great movie. It, I think it's, I think it's even if it has just have a flaw or a few, a few cup flaw or two, I think it's it's the everything else, the casting and the singing, and everything is just. It just overwhelms me with joy every time I watch it, especially in the time we're in now. I'd love to watch a movie like this make me smile. So I would give it five out of five. A good time was had here. Chad, where are you going to go on this one? I'm grinning like an idiot through most of this movie. And even some of the things that seem like they're just weird spoofs that would never happen actually wind up happening. Like Lena's voice that happened to the guy that played Darth Vader. His name's David Prowse. He didn't know his voice was going to be replaced. They get James Earl Jones. So, I mean, it's 
it's topically relevant it's satirical it's very very funny the songs are great just everything is charming everyone gets along uh, on screen anyways so for me it's five out of five okay and uh, perhaps just because I'm new to this one and I don't have the built-up appreciation because I tend to grow in appreciation with the movie over time, I'm giving this four out of five umbrellas. And, uh, oh, wow. I, I, and, How dare you? Well, I'll explain. And it, <laughs> it, it, It's the Broadway melody. And I know that's... Uh, it, it, I didn't realize it was 17 minutes until you quantified it. And that that is the part that I just go, it's too indulgent and it pulled me out of the movie to the point where like I said, I literally had to look over to my wife and be like, I'm sorry. Was I not paying attention or something? I, I, I'm, I'm really trying here. They were talking about what they were going to do in the movie. What is all this? And she goes, this is their idea for what they want to do in the movie. I was like, it can't be, it's a Renaissance thing. And it was like, so did um, you not enjoy two face? The, the guy with the burnt scar flipping his coin. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought too. It was like that's supposed to be like a like a like a DC or Two Face character. That's really funny. <laughs> I think he was around back then, actually. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyway, four and a half's really good, and I uh, there's room to grow. So uh, the 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 water can keep rising. And this... that's all right. They didn't give this any Oscars at first, and now you know the Oscars are often wrong. They are. They are. Um, it's one of those things where you look back on it and you go like, wow. How'd that happen? So, you know what won't be wrong, though? The choice that you helped me make for next week, Chad. I I, I have a a director special here. We're going to do a Christopher Nolan movie for next week. You ready to help me pick one? I'm ready. Option one, following from 1998, a young writer who follows strangers for material meets a thief who takes him under his wing. Option two, The Prestige from 2006. After a tragic accident, two stage musicians engage in a battle to create the ultimate illusion while sacrificing everything they have to outwit each other. And option number three, Memento from 2000. A man with a short-term memory loss attempts to track down his wife's murderer. So, Chad, what's it going to be? The following, The Prestige, or Memento? I love The Prestige. I'm excited to revisit it, so let's go with The Prestige. Well, uh, the prestige it'll be. Ray, one last time, thank you for coming to join us. Oh, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it, and uh, thank your listeners for listening to me rant about the movies with you guys. Uh, and uh, yeah, I really I love your podcast too. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Hopefully, I could be on again uh, some other time. Yeah, Sounds- thank you so much, Ray. Sounds great. And uh, I can't think of any better places than Pittsburgh and Seattle to sing in the rain together. So uh, remember, all the Lords, Ladies, and Knights, the Retro Movie Roundtable, we invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook. Email us at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. And now we're on Twitter, so search Retro Movie Roundtable there. And as always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chad? Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. And Moses, he knows his toes aren't roses, as Moses supposes his toes is to be.